Hello and welcome to the NCEA podcast. I'm Jill Annable, Senior Vice President of Programs here at NCEA, and I am today's host. We have the pleasure of having a great guest today, Chris McKenna, but I first want to say a big thank you to our sponsor today, which is Archangel Tablets. They um, have done a great job of putting technology in the hands of our students in Catholic schools. So thank you, Archangel Tablets. Welcome, Chris McKenna. We are so so glad that you're here. Hey, Jill, this is awesome. I am so glad to be with you today digitally. Yes. Yeah. And so Chris is the founder of Protect Young Eyes. Um, he's a former middle school youth director an author of multiple resources for families and churches. Um, and a lot of his work has been on a very balanced um, approach to technology. Um, he's done great work with schools, with families, with dioceses, and um, we're just really grateful for all the work you've done to this point. And we're so glad to have you in New Orleans with us at convention as one of our keynoters. So thank you, thank you, thank you for that. You are welcome, Jill. Yeah, our paths have intersected in a couple of different roles that, that you've had working in the church and now super excited to be with you down in New Orleans next month. Yes. So, so what else would you like to tell us about your background and the work you've done um, to this point? You know, Jill, this is a path I never expected to be on. God is full of surprises, right? And, you know, professionally, um, I'm a CPA and you go, wait a minute, how does that turn into this? And I'm like, I don't know. I have no idea, but I have a background in consulting and then the Lord called me into working in the local church, which I did with junior high. I love junior high, that age, that stage. There's so much to celebrate there and to work with them as they're figuring out who they are, what their faith looks like, so many things going on in those spongy, awesome brains of theirs. And so I did that for seven years full time, but that was during the rise of portable internet. And that really then brought together two things that right God had placed in my life, and that was this desire to fix things. That's the consultant in me. I like to look at a problem and find a path to a solution. And I feel like there's almost always a solution. And then watching kids starting to carry the internet with them, as I was in that role from 2009 to 2016, really then presented to me a whole bunch of parents who had no idea what their kids were carrying with them. They were giving them a phone, but they didn't know what they were also giving them. And so that just opened up this whole opportunity to fill that gap with information and education. And that really is what created Protect Young Eyes back in around 2015. And that's when I started working with schools and churches. And Jill, you and I intersected here in the Diocese of Grand Rapids. And so from there, it has grown. I have a presentation team. We do talks all over the country and just want to do whatever we can to stand in the gap. I see my role as standing in that gap between amazing families between amazing Catholic schools, between amazing parishes, and quite honestly, Jill, technologies that could care less about us. They really don't. They don't care about our time and attention, and I wanna stand in that gap for them to help them understand how to navigate, but also protect and prepare their kids for the digital spaces they're going to be in. That's a great way to, th to think about that. You know, in, in Catholic schools, um, we are supporting families. They're the primary educators of their children of the faith, and we are Absolutely. here to support them. And I think that's why you were such an integral part of our process back in Grand Rapids. I was assistant superintendent for curriculum instruction and technology integration. So a lot of, a lot of technology going on there. And, and it's fun. your timeline is funny because I was trying to figure out when we had first worked together, and it was 
probably 2016, maybe 2015, when we were really um, trying trying our best to trail trailblaze um, technologies, but also make sure we weren't doing technology just for the sake of technology, and making sure it was uh, really really balanced, but also very family first. And you were a great thought partner for us in that process. That's so important. That is a phrase that we're starting to use more often, Jill, as I'm creating programs for um, updating, say, compliance with safe environments or digital citizenship in Catholic schools and dioceses, is we want to create that bridge between the seven hours that schools control and the 17 hours that they don't, because like no other time in the formation of our children, what happens digitally during those 17 hours that children are at home then creates either baggage or goodness during the seven hours that Catholic educators are in, say, possession, quote unquote, of those children. And like no other time are those two time frames impacting each other. And so we certainly want to be that bridge to create tools in that bridge to bridge what happens in the classroom and home and create resources then for parents to continue that conversation at home if there's something that's happening in the classroom related to digital citizenship. So certainly right on board with you there and love working with you when you were here in Grand Rapids. And I just, you know, you and I, I think see eye to eye on those things. So yeah, absolutely. What's funny too, is that uh, you getting to this conversation, like us in this moment of you keynoting at NCA isn't about our Grand Rapids connection. It, it's because your name kept coming up in conversations with superintendents in other places. And I said, oh yeah, I know Chris. So <laughs> so t- can you tell us just briefly, you know, just a, num- a couple of the um, recent, the sure. recent archdiocese and diocese you've been working with? Yeah, yeah. So still very active here in GR. In fact, yesterday I spke to the ninth through twelfth graders at Sacred Heart Academy here in Grand Rapids oh, about fantastic. yeah, with uh, Zach and Gina down there and really wanting to reinforce the message of you matter. That's the theme of our talk. It's less about technology, but more about their unique worth and significance that they matter in a world that desperately wants them to believe and think other things about who they are, but no, they are created uniquely by God for a purpose. And so we love doing that. Um, I, I think the one that intersected right about the time that you were looking for resources for the conference was I had just been down at the Diocese of Covington. And coincidentally, I know people could listen to this at any point in time, but today is Wednesday. Tomorrow I'm flying down back to the Diocese of Covington to speak at a school down there. But I had done an all day retreat for the diocese with all of their school leaders. And we had four different modules that we went through. Um, and that was, a, that was a great experience. And I'm working with the Diocese of Kalamazoo, as I indicated before, revamping their approach to safe environments, creating a brand new program that is up to date to bridge not only some of what's so important for charter compliance around the physical abuse that can occur, but often there is a lot of overlap between abuse that happens online that then translates into physical abuse. And so we're creating a whole new set of lessons and compliance activities that weaves in those digital risks that are so relevant for young people, for educators, for parents, 
for diocesan leaders, religious edge leaders. We're, we're attacking it from all of those different levels there in Kalamazoo. So those are some of the things that we've evolved into, not just speaking to parents and students at individual schools. We love doing that, but I see one of the bigger, uh, more important, not more important, but one of the bigger sort of evolutions of us here at Protect Young Eyes is to then start working more at that diocesan level to educate as many leaders as possible, but maybe also to bring some of these important programs in place like safe environments and charter compliance up to, you know, 2022, where the risks have changed from when maybe some of these original programs were put in place, if that makes sense. Yeah, that's incredible. I didn't even know you were working on that. That's awesome. And so, so needed as each diocese um, figures out all the parts and pieces that become a comprehensive model for safe environments. Uh, that I, I am not surprised that you're part of the conversation of, of updating those and getting it right. So that's fantastic. Um, as you were describing where you've been and, and who you're working with, I, I appreciate your range. So, um, a bit of what you're talking about is classical academies who don't um, who don't want students in front of screens all day, every day. And then we have on on the opposite end schools who are embracing technology to a really crazy extreme, like a fun extreme of students um, working with emerging technologies and one-to-one devices before it was necessary for one-to-one devices. Like there's such a range of how Catholic schools use technology as part of their vision for successful education. And um, I appreciate that you you work with that whole range of schools. And I think that's hard for our Catholic schools to figure out who are the, who are going to be their partners that are mission driven, that aren't um, that aren't subscribing to a secular point of view for or against technology, but instead like a partnership. We all need to find the partnerships of other dioceses, of other leaders uh, and folks like you uh, to try to shape that vision and move everyone forward. So I just I just want to say I appreciate all of that work that you're doing. Um, So my next question then is a lot has happened as we've learned a lot about how students learn and how families use technology sure. in the last couple of years. Yeah. And so how, what have you learned? What have, you know, what are you seeing now that you would have never have thought about two years ago? Well, I think what we're seeing is evidence for things that we maybe suspected. COVID really gave us an opportunity to almost prove, I mean, we were all sort of the experiment in this, but what we proved, and I think we knew this, but it really made it obvious to us, Jill, is that connection does not equal fulfillment, right? That as we watch kids struggle through virtual school and long-term some of them in virtual school, or even just long-term isolation and being locked in at homes for long periods of time that we were online more than ever, right? We use technology more than ever while we were locked down and yet we're coming out of being locked down more lonely and feeling just disconnected from the world than ever. And I think that, you know, this plays itself out in multiple ways with technology for anything that is good in real life, technology is almost always a poor surrogate for it. It can be a short-term solution, but it's never a long-term replacement, whether that's relationships with each other, 
we, we, I mean, we saw that talking to you, I mean, Jill, our brain reinforces this, right? That if I'm talking to you, say through FaceTime, um, versus if I'm with you in real life, you and I have both experienced a very real thing called Zoom fatigue, right? You've been on Zoom meetings all day long, you work virtually, and those of you who may listen to this, I'm sure you've felt tired after days like that. And you're like, wow, why am I so tired? I, all I did was sit at my desk and have meetings. But what your brain was struggling with all day long was trying to process facial expressions and little nonverbals. And it struggled to do that through a screen. And it doesn't struggle as mightily to do that in real life when you're face to face with another person. So you're not as exhausted from those meetings. So Zoom fatigue is a real thing. In other words, Jill, no surprise, we were created for relationship, right? I mean, we were created in relationship by a trinity that loves and cares for us and we're better in relationship with each other. And we see that, I mean, pornography is another great example of that where I was speaking with the high schoolers yesterday you know, eventually the brain, if you show it enough pornography, will prefer pixels over people because you will teach that brain the fastest path to satisfaction, but you will always, you will always end that path feeling less connected, lonely, distorted. You will see people as objects. You will start to just be a worse version of yourself. Why? Because being together an authentic relationship with each other can never be replaced by technology. And so I think what we saw and we've experienced and now we're seeing it in the mental well-being of our young people who are struggling to process all the anxiety and the chaos and the distortion around them because everything in the news that is terrible is what trends. Positivity isn't what makes the Twitter you know, top 10 list. It's always what's worst and horrible. You know, kids feel these things, they experience these things, and I think we're now starting to see the impacts of a lot of little, what I'll call mini traumas that kids experience, whether it was anxiety around, are my parents going to die, or the world is horrible and terrible. They just, they see and they soak this stuff up. Then combined with being disconnected from other real human beings that they could be around that could give them hugs, because we all know hugs actually release neurochemicals that remove stress from our brains, right? Through that oxytocin connection. So COVID just put into really fine focus for us things that we suspected and now we can go, yep, it was true. We do need to be together. We're better when we can be with other human beings and our young people are certainly feeling the impacts of that. Your, um, your approach is, is one that really embraces a, a range of things that our Catholic school system and school leaders have to think through, and that is the intersection of trauma-informed care, Catholic social teaching, the dignity um, of all people, um, theology of the body, you know, uh, just, just all, the, all the different topics that we're responsible to and also um, the intersection of those things through the lens of technology. And I think you're right. We were not talking about a lot of these things a couple of years ago because we weren't sure how to approach those conversations. And then suddenly we all had to have those conversations all at once as we supported families from their home um, while doing some pandemic teaching. And I uh, I, I just really appreciate uh, that range of of topics that that intersect and that intentional intersection of of yeah. caring for the the whole child um 
you know, in, in connection to their families is just, is just great. Um, I'm wondering that. So one, one big piece here is that you work closely with parents and, and advising schools and school systems about how to work with their parents. What are some of the biggest questions, challenges, worries that you're hearing from parents about technology? Clearly you're talking about pornography and that and what else um, have you been hearing lately? Yeah. And so to make it maybe even more relevant for school leaders that may be listening to this is almost wherever I go, I'm still even this far in to technology being an important part of education, Jill, I still get a lot of questions from both secular and faith-based, either Catholic or non-Catholic Christian schools, a lot of questions around school-issue tech. Parents will come up to me at my talks and they they don't know, you know what they don't know. They're, they're not sure how to control them. I got this Chromebook from school. I'm not sure, can my kid get to other sites on it? Can they be chatting and doing gaming and other tabs? So, I still believe that there are more than an insignificant number of parents who do not feel adequately equipped to understand and deal with some of the technology that is being used by schools for educational purposes. And so I would see that as an opportunity for the schools that you know may be listening to this, but that's definitely one of the things that I, I still hear in you know parents trying to navigate a world where technology is a bigger part of education than ever not in all schools but in in many schools um so i would ask school leadership to look for opportunities there in fact i wrote a blog post jill at protectyoungeyes.com that is titled the five questions every parent should ask their school principals about technology and it goes through sort of uh, the five different things that i believe constitute best practices in any school um, that is using technology in education. And so it's it's simple questions around, well, what is the enterprise-wide management or you know system that's in place, whether it's IBOS or Securely or G Suite, whatever it is, that's trying to manage the different sites that kids are going to. Tell me a little bit about it. That's you know just an important place for parents to start. Or who is in charge of monitoring the logs for different incidents and things that might happen because I can tell you here that last year I had a parent call me and it was in a Catholic school actually and this school had iPads that had been issued to the elementary school kids and they were using an enterprise-wide software, I'm not going to say which one, but a young man in third grade had been going around the controls on this iPad whenever possible and he was really trying to get to certain sites and it was very obvious that he was heading down a path that wasn't going to be healthy for him but at this particular school nobody was monitoring the logs for six months you could see very clearly once we printed out the logs afterwards and I worked with the family to get this information that he was intentionally trying to try all kinds of different sites and avenues to get to pornography on these school-issued iPads sitting right there in the hallway at school and yet nobody was monitoring those incidents to prevent that and to bring that then which is the number three is not only monitoring but then what's the process for the school to bring certain types of incidents to the family to let them know so that they can intervene versus the school handling it so those are you know, a couple of the other areas and themes that I'm seeing. There's still, even a couple years into this, Jill, I still think that there are opportunities for there to be more communication, more shared understanding about what the ownership and the features are 
um, for protecting kids when it comes to these school-issued devices. So that's how, it, how I would answer that question. Mm-hmm. And you're reminding me of things that I take for granted because we've had these conversations years and years ago, but about you know, the average age that a child will first accidentally or purposefully encounter pornography um, and how, how as families, you've, you've helped me as a as mom, you've helped me figure out how I should have those conversations early at home so that it can be supported at school. Um, tell us a little bit more about that, a little bit of a sidebar, but really important and glad to, to repeat that topic um, as much as we need to in order to support families. Yeah, yeah, that's right. It's such an important conversation. I want, and this will sound really strange, but I'm going to say it, I want porn to be the norm in homes. I want it to be a normal conversation. And I don't want us to simply talk about why porn is bad, because I think what that does is that actually amplifies curiosity, right? Genesis 3 starts to come out of all of us if you only say, don't, 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 it's the forbidden fruit. I also want us to explore very early with our young people, not just why porn is bad, but why God's designs for our body and our intimacy and our marriages and our relationships are so much deeper and richer and better than any poor, distorted, shallow surrogate that pornography could offer us. And I think we can start those conversations early. And that often freaks parents out. One of the things that I do in the presentations that I do, not only do I make the entire audience repeat the word pornography multiple times, which is really interesting to watch, you know, parents kind of weirded out by that. And my response to that is if you're weird about it, then your kids are going to be weird about it. Don't transfer your lack of comfort with this topic to them, because all that does is give the enemy a wedge in to then whisper all kinds of things to them. So be confident. It's just a word. But the other thing I have them do, Jill, is I have them all write down the age when they think that they should talk to their kids about pornography. And I give them, you know, three or five seconds to do that. And then I tell them, okay, cross it off, subtract two, and that's probably the right spot. And you can just see all the faces in the audience going, really? And like, yeah, really? And you can have really productive conversations, sometimes without even saying the word in talking about things that kids see online. I mean, when you say to a young person, maybe even a four or five-year-old, to say, hey, you know, when you get that funny feeling in your stomach that something isn't quite right, that's real. That's the Holy Spirit saying to you, something isn't quite right and your feelings matter. Your feelings are your superpowers and I want you to listen to those. And so, honey, if you're ever on a screen and you see something that gives you that little funny feeling, it makes you uncomfortable or scary. It could be maybe people on a screen that are naked or you see their private parts because I hope we've had conversations about private parts with our kids. And then you tell them exactly what to do. You say, honey, if that ever happens, I'll never be mad. And here's exactly what I want you to do. I want you to put it down and tell someone. And then, Jill, we practice that with our kids because that abstract conversation doesn't really stick with young people who have brains that can't think abstractly yet. And so with those four and five-year-olds, I want them to physically have a tablet or a Chromebook in their hands and physically help them put it down, like have them set it down on the table and then walk across the room to tell you and that your face is full of joy and excitement that they've come to tell you because we want to reinforce that kind of reaction. Now, in everything that I just said to you in that scenario, did you ever hear me say the word pornography to that four or five-year-old, Jill? 
Right. No. 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 And yet, great way to do this. Doesn't that constitute a conversation about pornography? Absolutely. You've just told your kid exactly what to do. And I think it creates that foundation for when maybe soon after that you do give them the word. Because I would love that all six-year-olds knew the word pornography, especially if they're on a school bus or they spend time with other friends. I want them to know the word. And if for a year you've been talking about seeing things online that make them uncomfortable and you say, hey, you know, there's a word for that when people show their bodies and all kinds of nakedness on the screen, which we don't do just because, you know, there are certain things that we keep private. There's a word for that. It's called pornography. And whenever you hear that word from a friend or somebody, you know what I want you to do? And then you just tell them, I want you to tell someone. And maybe the kid like my son did when I did this, she's like, oh, I've been hearing that for a year, dad, I know exactly what to do. And all we've done is assign a word to something that they're already hopefully comfortable with. And I think we actually rob the enemy of his curiosity power over our kids when we're that open and honest about it. And instead, what we sometimes believe is the opposite. Parents will sometimes, and I believe this is the enemy trying to get us to do nothing. They'll start to believe that if I bring it up, they're going to awaken in my child some bizarre curiosity. And I think the exact opposite is actually true. I would much rather that they know our position on these things and our ideas about you know, our bodies and the you know, important issues like pornography. I want our version of those conversations to be what's sticky inside of those awesome little hearts of theirs and not Google's version or their friend's version or TikTok's version or Lord knows any other versions that are out there of those things. And so that's been my experience, Jill. Oh, I, thank you. I just, I appreciate, I appreciate all of that. Um, I think we as parents have a really a critical job here and an important job and scary job. You know, I get, I get the, my, my palms are sweating thinking about, oh, today's a good day to reinforce things. Um, in my own home. And this is, this has just been great. So thank you for that part. Um, all right. So let's, let's switch gears a little bit because I want to hear what are some of the best ways you've seen schools using technology lately to support students? Well, I, I mean, what I love <laughs> are very clear expectations for students. And a great example of that is where I was yesterday um, when at, at Sacred Heart, when I was speaking to the students, they embrace a little bit more of a classical approach, but they embrace technology as a way to educate. But it has very specific lanes where it is involved in the education of students. And that to me is really important. So, for example, they have an away for the day policy. And I know that many Catholic schools do. And if you don't, I want to encourage it, even at the high school level. I think that all students, K through 12, benefit from an away for the day personal device policy to keep those put away in whatever capacity that is so that technology has a very specific role in the lives of kids when it comes to their education and they know exactly when and where that is. And the other thing, Jill, that I think that I've seen work really well is really clear communication back to parents as to what they can expect for their kids to be doing with technology when they get home. And what I mean by that is another thing that I hear from parents all the time is they still buy into some somewhat old ideas about screen time, right? The whole idea of screen time is really evolving right now. Like it almost doesn't even apply the way that we used to think about it in terms of hours and minutes because 
It used to be the screen time almost always meant something bad, and so you tried to monitor how much they got. Well, now that really doesn't translate anymore. It's like, what is good and bad screen time? It, you know, if your kid gets 30 minutes, you're a good parent, and you're a bad parent if they get 35 minutes. Like, that doesn't really work as well anymore when they're also on the smart TV and they're talking to a relative on FaceTime and they're doing homework on their Chromebook. It's like, how do you know how much time is, is good time? But what I get from parents is, you know, my kid told me they had homework and two hours later, they were still on their Chromebook doing homework. I don't know, was that the amount of time or were they part of the time chatting? And I think some of that is just more open, that bridge that I talked about, more open communication, not every day sending home an email. That's not what I'm trying to say, but at least give parents an understanding as to how it's being used, how they, what they can expect when kids come home, just so that parents have some sort of range for them to be thinking about when that device, if they're taking it home or when they're on, you know, Google Class Classroom or whatever it is doing work at night, just have a general idea as to how much time that should take. So those are some of the things that I would say, those really specific lanes as to where tech belongs, clearly defined and clearly enforced, and then more communication to let parents know how it's being used, what those lanes are, so that they know how to manage and monitor screen time when their kids are at home. Mm -hmm. You reminded me in a lot of what you're saying about uh how hard it is as a school leader and system leader to know enough about technology to feel really confident in those communications that should be going home about all the protections, about all of the work, about you know sending those devices home or the expectation to be using the internet at home for things and at school for things. And you know, this is where I, I think I think these partnerships, these thought partners really come into play that if you're not sure as a school leader how you're going to answer those questions, then it's time to find a partner either on your staff or, or, or elsewhere to have um, some confidence building and to have a communication plan about technology. Your technology plan should have this element in it um, about how often and how you're going to describe these these uh, answers for parents in an ongoing conversation um, is so, so critical. It's not just about, you know, sending those devices home. It's about, again, partnership, that partnership with families and all of the communications that go along with that as throughout that partnership. It's, it's good because when you get to a moment then that's hard because a child has access something that they shouldn't have and it's uncovering other things about the family and about the child that they may not want to talk to you about it, those are hard conversations but if we are in really good partnership with those families because we feel confident in our approach to technology it's going to make a world of difference in those tough in those tough moments um, of discipline and of and of education for families when something happens that is um that is not great. Yeah, no, you're absolutely right. Yeah, those partnerships. That's right. And so in other words, uh, school leaders, you don't have to bear that burden. <laughs> you, you don't right. you don't have to find them. Right. And there, there's I know there's there's some out there, um, even maybe a motivated parent that likes staying in touch with things that can send you information. We have a whole list of what we call text snippets, Jill, that are copy and paste like 50 word little snippets that can go into school newsletters, school communications 
that's one of those sort of bridging tools that we have that can then just be put in. Hey, parents, did you know this about YouTube? Make sure restricted mode is in place. Or, hey, parents, did you know that your router, actually for these school-issued devices, when it's home and on your network, your router is the most important digital device in your house. And you don't have to understand routers just to sort of point parents in the direction of doing a little more research about their router. And I really think they appreciate those those little uh, notes like that. So Yeah. Chris, tell us again your, your website so people can find these things. Yeah, so just come to protectyoungeyes.com, and we are there. We're also very active on social media, even though, you know, there's things about social media that I don't love, but I'm going to use it for the glory of God as much as I can here. And visit us, you know, on Instagram, Facebook, just look for Protect Young Eyes. Um, we're also in the App Store, Jill. I want to mention this to your school leaders. You know, when COVID locked us down and locked us out of schools, which thank God those are all coming back online, um, but during when we were all kind of locked down, we built an app for parents because, you know, ironically, in the exact moment we were no longer able to get to parents was when they needed us the most as virtual became more the daily reality. So in the App Store, be it the Apple App Store or Google Play, you could search Protect Young Eyes. And we built an app for parents. It's actually the primary tool that we are using in dioceses uh, right now to bridge that gap because it has over 500 mini lessons in it about all of these things, Jill. It has a scriptural application. You can put a check mark next to the NABRE translation of scripture, and now you can read about cyberbullying and pornography and mental well-being of children through the lens of Holy Scripture. That was really important to us. But it's also bilingual because I live in, lived in Mexico and speak Spanish, and so there's a toggle for Spanish, and so the entire app is also in Spanish for parents who are non-native speakers of English who imagine how difficult it is for them to lead their children in these ways. Mm -hmm. We wanted to make sure that that was also bridged. So it's another important tool that I would love to speak to any school about if that would be a benefit to them. That's great. I'm, I'm glad you mentioned social media. My final question is, you know, we talk a lot about using technology. It's part of, it's part of our, um, it's part of, of, of what we have as a Catholic church is documents on how we are to evangelize, how to evangelize through communications, through technologies. And so I often wonder, and I'm wondering your thought on whether you think the apostles would have been using social media had it been available to them. You know, I think that they would have. I think that they would have. I think they would have been wise to the ways of social media to hold themselves, you know, in accountability with each other, right? We saw we saw Paul pretty clearly call out Peter in the New Testament when he wasn't doing something that Paul thought was right. And now we have it documented, you know, in the Bible <laughs> for all of eternity here. So I think that they would have done a good job holding each other accountable. You know, uh, you know, maybe John would have said to you know whoever you know has been like, hey, you've been on TikTok a little too much, right? They maybe would have been able to hold each other accountable for um, some of those ways in which technology can get to us. But if their role, and we know it was, was to take the gospel to the ends of the earth, then yes, we can leverage it to be in some kind of connection with each other. But I also think they still would have gotten on the ships and would have traveled physically to places to physically meet with people because as we've discovered, there's nothing quite as powerful as doing that. So 
maybe they would have done a better job of that both and kind of relationship instead of social media just becoming the thing. And maybe they would have shown us a better way to do that, Jill. Who knows? That's great. Oh, Chris McKenna, it's so great to talk to you and to learn from you. Uh, I can't wait to see you in person in New Orleans as our yes. keynoter. So thank you for being there for us in that moment. I think you're going to be busy. Um, Chris will also be in the uh, exhibitor hall talking with all of you throughout those days. So appreciate all of that. And a special thank you to Archangel Tablets for today's episode. And thank you listeners for being with us. God bless. Thank you, Jill. Thank you.